Well, this morning we're continuing our study in the book of Nehemiah, and I hope it has blessed you um, as we've thought about, God, where are you leading? How are you directing? How are you calling each of us to build and be a part of building your kingdom co to corporately? But also, God, how are you calling us to be investing in our own lives? Today we're going to continue that series, uh, but as we look at Nehemiah chapter 5, i got to confess it's a sermon that's a little difficult for me. It's one that's kind of caused me a little bit of self-introspection, which you would want them all to do, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, but this one especially has kind of challenged me a little bit, and would you just give me a little grace today as we and actually give the Lord a little room to maybe, maybe adjust some of your beliefs? Okay, what am I talking about? Well, have you changed your opinion lately? Have you changed your opinion on anything lately? I, I don't typically change my opinion too often, I feel like. I feel like I kind of have said. And I, I don't know if any of you use social media too often or spend a lot of time there. Uh, but as you've noticed, if you've been on Facebook or any of theirs, there's a lot of argumentation, especially the last year. In fact, some of it has just kind of made me a little ill. Um, there's people that maybe I don't read as much or don't ever want to read or, you know, just kind of, I don't know. It, defriending seems very mean, but can I unfollow? You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? not looking at all of the arguments. In fact, I found this little um, <laughs> um, graphic that I think is, is accurate. It's a pie graph, right? There it says, outcome of political arguments on Facebook. So the red is all the ones that nobody changed their mind. I think that was all of them. You know, green was you changed your mind, blue is there, they changed your mind. If you notice, there's no green or blue, right? Nobody's changing their minds. And we just kind of say what we think and everybody kind of gets reinforced with their own beliefs and we kind of just kind of get stuck. Okay, here's the danger I think right now. In the time where those kinds of arguments are happening, nobody's really changing their mind. Maybe we don't change our mind at all, especially when it comes to God's word. Has the Lord's word kind of been that double-edged sword in your life, you know, dividing between the bone and the marrow that's kind of probed your heart and your mind. Some of your, like, you know, sincerely held beliefs all of a sudden get laid on the altar and the light of God's Word kind of says, well, okay, there's good there, but let me show you how this doesn't really reflect the heart of my son or his character. Has God's Word spoken to you and changed your mind lately? I think Nehemiah chapter 5 is one of those that kind of began to mess with some of my sincerely held beliefs in here. Watch this. Here's some, now, okay, now, okay, let's start off. Now, this is not coming straight from Scripture. This is my beliefs, convictions, especially about economics, and just a little bit of my ideas. Um, here's some of my basic beliefs. Number one, people sort of bear the consequences for their economic choices. I can remember as a young teenager, I really liked really cool cars. <laughs> I mean, I really, I had my dream, you know. I mean, it was a, man, I wanted the, the okay, this is going to date me a little bit. I wanted a classic. I wanted a Datsun 280ZX. A Datsun, right? Not the Nissan. Before Nissan bought out Datsun, I wanted the Datsun 280ZX. And I mean, I knew what I wanted. I, uh, I can remember my dad telling me, because I'd see people with these nice cars and we didn't always have the nicest cars, but I saw these people with the nicest cars, and I thought, hmm, I would really like to have that. And my dad would always say, you can have any car you want. You just have to be willing to pay for it. So I, I, people, if they want to buy a nice car, fine. You just have to be willing to pay for it. Uh, you want a nice, bigger house? Sure, you just need to be willing to pay for it. You bear the consequences 
for your, for your choices. If you take out loans, okay. You just got to pay them back. Number two, people's economic hardships, <clears throat> this is sort of my belief, are often a result of their own choices. Sometimes you spent a little bit too much. Sometimes you didn't stay in that job that you should have stayed in because you thought this would work out better. You know, the, the grass was greener on the other side. Maybe you made some unwise choices. You, you spent that retirement when you should have left it in there and let it sit. Maybe you, you got panicky with the market. I, sometimes people make some unwise choices and maybe, maybe where you're at economically is on you. Number three, you should pay back your debts. I have a lot of friends, a lot of people that I don't know that are like, oh yeah, I take a lot of government, uh, government loans, a lot of student guaranteed student loans. I took a, and you know, if I, if I just pay the minimum, at year 10 they get forgiven and I can just, just kind of pay for a while and then get it forgiven. I keep thinking, no, 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 you took a loan, you should pay it back, right? Is anybody with me on some of these? These are just sort of my beliefs. They're just some, some general ones I've got. I can even back them up with scripture. I, I can spiritualize these. <laughs> that, that always makes me feel better about myself. Okay, look at 2 Thessalonians. That's a good one. Um, For you know, brothers, he says in chapter 3, verse 7, you yourselves know how we ought to, you ought to follow our example. We weren't idle among you <laughs> when we were with you. No, verse 8. We didn't eat anybody's food without paying for it, right? You're going to eat food? You got to pay. You're gonna, you, you don't waste your time. Make good choices. Make good economic choices. Get a job, right? He says, instead, we worked day and night, toiling not to be a burden. Don't be a burden on society. If you take a loan, pay it back. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. See, if you're in a little bit of financial trouble, it's probably on you. Can I tell you, as I've been thinking about Isaiah, I mean, Nehemiah chapter 5, as I've been looking at this passage, it's challenging some of my deeply held beliefs. I got to put a big question mark here on these things like, yeah, work hard, pay back your debts. It's there in 2 Thessalonians for sure. But when you look at Nehemiah, it's kind of got me kind of thinking some things, rethinking some things. Not completely. I still think those other principles are true, but let's take a look, shall we? All right. In verse 1, it says, Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry. Remember, Nehemiah is now governor. They're completing the wall. They're trying to get finished here. The wives and men raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, We and our sons and our daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we've got to get grain. Now, that just seems like, yeah, you got a lot of kids, you got to feed them. I, what's your point? Well, the point was they were in an economic crisis and they were not able to feed their own children. They were saying, well, we got a lot of kids and we can't feed them all. Now, I got to be honest, my first reaction is, that was your choice. You had lots of kids. I didn't have lots of kids. Okay, you know the difference between a sitcom and a, and a, and a, <clears throat> a dink? Have you heard those terms? A dink is what my wife and I are. Double income, no kids. We are the most free, right? I mean, we don't have, we're not saving for college. We're, I mean, double income, no kids. We kind of have a little bit more disposable income than most. Two incomes coming in, not that many mouths to feed. It works out pretty well. Sitcom, that's single income, two to ten kids, oppressive mortgage, right? Those are the people that's like, okay, those were your choices. You got one income, you got lots of kids. That's on you. You bought the big house. That's on you, right? What's the big deal? Isn't that what Nehemiah should say? It's 
Not what Nehemiah says. Look at this. Let's go on. Others were saying this. We're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes during the famine. During the famine. See, that began to challenge me a little bit. Like, wait a second. Was there something, something that was beyond their control? I tend to think that our economic situations are, are because of our own choices, right? But are there things that sometimes are beyond our control? We just watched Texas go through craziness. And even now in the fallout, after like all the power grid goes down, in Texas, uh, where they have oil in abundance, Texas, uh, people were freezing, their homes were cold. The power bills, because Texas, it's Texas, a lot of little free enterprise. Everybody, hey, you get lower bills when the demand is lower, but they don't have a government-regulated thing, and all of a sudden, when the demand is high, your bills are high. Did you know there were people with $10,000 electric bills? Heating, $10,000 for three days. I, I mean, they're like, and, and the government at first is like, well, yeah, we'll step in. They're not like, I don't know if we're going to step in. And I mean, there's lawsuits and all kinds of stuff. And I'm thinking, I don't know how many of us could handle a $10,000 three-day heating bill. I mean, you know, everybody should pay their debts. You agreed to it. But you didn't expect a pandemic. You didn't expect the entire power grid to be overwhelmed. You didn't expect medical bills to pile up. You didn't expect fill in the blank. All of a sudden, we realized that, that in Nehemiah's day, they were not only rebuilding the wall and trying to finish that project, but all of a sudden, a famine hit that they weren't expecting. People who had moved back to the land found the land unproductive. People who had brought their children here and had their children here and their families found themselves in some places where, hey, they shouldn't, couldn't seem to fix the problems. Look at verse 4. Still others said, we've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Okay, you've got to realize something here at this point. The Persian Empire is in charge. The Persian Empire is in charge. And since the days of the Babylonians, the people who were left there in the land of Israel were basically servants of these other kings and paying the taxes. And the poorest people were left and were sort of given the lands. Hey, okay, you don't have anything. You'll be loyal to us. We'll give you the land. But now the land is not able, as a new regime has come in, new governments have come in, the taxes have continued to go up, they don't know the situation, they don't know what's going on, and all of a sudden they found, we can't even pay our taxes. What the land is worth and what it produces doesn't produce enough for us to eat and pay the king. Verse 5. Although we are the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and our daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters, it goes on to say, have already been enslaved, and we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. You see the situation? It's a snowball effect. It's a cascading effect. We couldn't pay the taxes, so we started to mortgage our fields. And so now it, the fields are owned by the wealthy, and so we're trying to pay back the debt to the wealthy, pay our taxes, can't pay our fields, and the only thing we have left is to send our sons and daughters into indentured servitude. And some of those daughters are being sold to the nations. 
like they're not coming back. Nehemiah, instead of kind of having the, well, guys, you should have made better economic choices. You know, back when I was a slave in Persia, I worked myself up and I was cupbearer to the king. And now look at me, I am governor. You too, you know, through some hard work, some education, you know, pray for some good opportunities and just trust God. It'll be okay for you too. I hope it works out. God bless you. No. Nehemiah was moved by the people's needs. He was moved by the fact that some people just didn't have some basic needs being met that day. We don't have enough food for our children. He was moved by the fact that there was a systemic crisis. This idea of not only government, but famine had come in and the people couldn't get out. They were stuck. He was moved by the fact that there was oppressive debt that, that was exploiting the most vulnerable in the land. One of the things that made me angriest, I think, when I moved here uh, to Maryland was uh, beginning to discover some of the um, graduation rates for some of our historical black colleges and universities. So you're allowing students to come, take out loans for a couple years, and then not graduate. Like you're not giving them the resources to, gra to, to support students who might not be um, as qualified. I'm not saying that uh, black students are less qualified, just saying that the historically black colleges and universities have a mandate to help first generation students that are first time college students go to college. But if those college students are not necessarily given the support that they need, oh my goodness, you're incurring debt and then you're coming out after a couple of years of school with 10, 20, 30, $40,000 in debt and still only having the high school diploma. It would have been better to go straight into the workforce than to start off with the debt. I was thinking, this is, this is outrageous. This is, this, is, this is unconscionable. If you're going to encourage people to go to college, which I think is a good thing to do, you better, first generation students, you better be giving them the support, whether those are tutors, advisors, to help, make, to help know what is expected to earn those degrees to better your life. Otherwise, you're just increasing debt. Why? So that you can continue to pay your professors? My wife's a professor. I'm thrilled she's getting paid. So, I mean, I, I, mean, I've got a, I've, I feel like I've got a, uh, I, I've got a foot in this, in this game here. But it was interesting to me. Oppressive de debt, uh, exploiting the most vulnerable. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Verse 6, Nehemiah 5. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was angry. I was mad at the situation. Verse 7, I pondered them in my mind. I sat and I thought about it for a while. I really needed to dig in here. I didn't want to just make a knee-jerk reaction. It says, Nehemiah, I pondered them in my mind and then. I accused the nobles and the officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called a meeting together to deal with them. Okay, what did we see in the life of Nehemiah? Well, we see some things that I think ought to impact us. Number one, we really should be moved when we see the basic needs not being met. Okay, 
You don't work, you don't eat. Oh, I, I get it. I get that, that, that some people have made some bad economic choices. I, I, I realize that people are in situations that are often of their own making. Not always, but oftentimes they are. But that, in some ways, needs to not matter all the time. Sometimes I just need to go ahead and help somebody out. Sometimes I just need to say, look, I, I don't know what got you here, but you need some food today. So let's, let, let, let's take care of that first. We can, we can have a discussion about work ethic later. <laughs> we can have a discussion about whatever it is that might be uh, enslaving your life later. But right now, you need some food, and you need some food for your family. You need a place to live, and, and you need rent paid today. Maybe that as a church, and as a people, and as an individual, I need to say, okay, maybe instead of pointing the finger and not seeing my own blessings, maybe instead... The pointing finger ought, ought to more become a hand that's, that's wanting to, to help out. One that is on really just grasping my own money that's not even mine. It really belongs to the Lord. Holding on to it as if it's mine. Instead, maybe I need to be a little more free-handed. Maybe I need to be a little more open-handed with my resources. Number two, my, my heart needs to be moved by a s- systemic crisis. My, my, the poverty in the world. You know, I, I often use um, an example in my classes of a dubious authority. We, we look at fallacies in my ethics class, in my philosophy class, you know, fallacies in logic. And sometimes we appeal to the wrong people as our authorities. And I always find it interesting today how a lot of our young adults will listen to celebrities, right? on all kinds of issues of politics and all kinds of issues, uh, uh, global economics. And there was one where Bono, I don't know if you know Bono, uh, he's the lead singer for a famous band called U2. It's one of my favorites, I actually really like the band. And I really like Bono. And Bono, very influential individual, called together some of the leaders of the G8, right? And Bono's having a meeting and they, many of the leaders came and sat down and he wanted to encourage the wealthy nations of the world to forgive the debt of the poorest nations in the world. I'm thinking, yeah, okay, maybe Bono doesn't really know economic theory. And, I mean, he's a I mean, great musician, Jim, like, like Jim. He's a great musician. Jim, you've been compared to Bono lately? Jim, like Jim. Um, great musicians, right? Um, we, we love them. We were excited about it. We are thankful for our great musicians, right? We need them. <laughs> he needs a better agent. Jim just said he needs a better agent. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, we're thankful for them, but I got to be honest, Bono might not be the expert on global economics. But I appreciate his heart. I wonder if my heart was, yeah, it's not how can we get things back, how can we get what's ours, how can we give? Especially in light of things like the pandemic. We want to say, well, is it really all that, or is everybody... Well, some businesses are struggling. Is it really true? It's not affecting my business. What about, I, I don't know about everybody, but I think we've all been kind of moved to realize that people are struggling. And a lot of it wasn't their own choice. Sometimes there are just power outages and pandemics and revolutions and things that impact the world. Finally, oppressive debt. And I already feel like I, I, I talked about that a little bit for our college students. But this idea that, that we, we encourage people to go into debt and spend more than they have, what are we doing as a society to help? To, to help encourage people not to take on so much debt or to provide more part-time jobs? Or how can we as individuals 
for you know, laying the groundwork for more scholarships? What, what do we need to do to help people with debt? Nehemiah chapter 5, uh, verse 8 says, As far as possible, <laughs> we have bought back our, our fellow Jews who are being sold to the nations. And now you're selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. I wonder if we're allowing God's word to move in our heart and direct us. Are we quick to say, sure, I'm giving my money to help here, but then we're doing the very things and engaged in some of the practices economically that are, that are I don't know, causing more people to be in the crisis that we're trying to help them out with. In Nehemiah's day, many of the people were trying to bring people who had been in slavery back to the land of Israel to help rebuild the wall, to rebuild the nation, uh, even under the Persians, and now finding out that we're buying people, we're, 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 we're liberating them, bringing them back home, only to have them sold back into slavery and sent back to the nations. Boy, how self-defeating this is. For us as the people of God, I wonder if in our compassion and in our charity, we, we act one way, and yet sometimes when we think about economics, maybe we think about it in the wrong way. Maybe we're doing the very practices and encouraging the very practices that, that, that bring people into those places of poverty. That's a challenging thought for me. That's not my normal thought. That's not how I, I've been thinking for most of my life. That's, I'm not even sure it's quite completely true. How do we deal with it? I think like Nehemiah, I'm upset. But number two, I need to do some pondering. I need to do some thinking. I need to do some reflecting. Verse 9. So I continued, what you're doing is not right, Nehemiah says. Shouldn't you walk in fear of, the, of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? And maybe there's a key. Maybe there's a key. Shouldn't I walk in fear of the Lord? Instead of thinking about my own, my rights, my property, my thing, maybe I need to walk in fear of the Lord, that my life is in his hands. Jesus had a lot of warnings against those who would say, hey, I'm going to build some bigger barns. I'm going to expand my 403B, 401K plans. I'm going to, you know, I can't wait to get that retirement property. I, I'm looking forward to, to, I mean, it's going to be great for the kids. Grandkids are going to enjoy it, at least whenever they come and visit finally. You know, um, that kind, is that my attitude? Is it about me? Or do I walk in fear of the Lord? Like, God, this day came from you. This day belongs to you. The wealth that I have is yours because you purchased me with a price. Verse 10, and my, I and my brothers and the men, are, we're lending the people money, he said, and grain, but let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, and also the interest you're charging them. The 1% of the money, the grain, the new wine, the olive oil. Did you catch that? Any economic people? 1%? I'm thinking streets of gold. I'm going to borrow as much money as I can because I can put it in the stock market. I'll make more. Like, that, uh, streets at 1%? I mean, we're at like mortgage rates are down to like 1.99. And this is even though 1%? That's fair, right? That's reasonable. And that's why I start asking, well, is my actions reasonable? 
Are they fair? Are they just, you know, you know, real equity kind of thing? Are they good? See, all of that, I think, is the wrong questions. The question is, are they loving? Are my actions loving? Here's how Paul talks about the actions of our God. Verse 32 of chapter 8, He who did not spare, not hold it, did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? I'm trying to protect what I have. No, God graciously gives what I need. He'll provide for us. And our model is Jesus. Our model is our God who gave his own son, didn't spare him, gave the best, gave his son to redeem us. That's the good news, that God loved you so much that he put Jesus on a cross, that if you put your faith in him and in his resurrection, that he will forgive your sins, cleansing you of all unrighteousness, bringing you to an eternal home. Do I want to store up bigger barns now? Or am I taking the resources that God has given me and leveraging them for eternity? Verse 14, back in Nehemiah 5, it says, Moreover, when I, when I was appointed to be their governor of the land, neither I nor my brothers ate the food that was allotted to the governor. What? In other words, the people had to also pay for the governor. <laughs> He didn't eat their food. He provided for himself. But the early governors, it says in verse 15, those preceding me, they placed a heavy burden on the people. And they took 40 shekels of silver from them uh, to, in addition to the food and the wine. Their own little extra, you know, profit. Their assistance also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I didn't act like that. Are you insistent on your rights and on what you deserve? Are you looking for how you can give what God has given to you away? Luke 12, Jesus just tells us, watch out, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, all kinds of greed, for life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Or in Galatians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul reminds us, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Nehemiah chapter 5, i got to be honest, is messing with me a little bit. Been for a few weeks, making me rethink some of my own personal economic policies. Making me think, you know, do I really want to be one of those that I saved up so much and then, where did it go? To a family member? Or did I invest it in the kingdom? Did I give to those who just needed some help? Did I, was I moved by compassion, like a God who was so moved that he sent his son to save me? I think we're called to imitate Nehemiah on this. Are you angry? Like, does the injustice make you angry? The inequity, the hardships people are facing. Are you giving it some thought? Because I think that's my biggest sin. Sometimes I get angry, but I don't spend any time really digging in to think about it. Oh, I listen to NPR every so often, but do I really think about what's going on and what could make a difference? 
Am I advocating for others? Am I advocating for others? Am I personally investing? Am I even sacrificing? Because I'll give, but I haven't given so that it would like cost me something in a long time. A few weeks ago, we asked a question. What will it take to build Valley Baptist Church? Today, I think we're asking even the more important question. What will it take to be Valley Baptist Church? Being the people God calls us to be. Having a heart like Jesus. Being moved by God's word. Letting him change even some of our deeply held perspectives. So we can question, are we made looking out to meet the basic needs of others, especially among our own church members and church family? Are, are we considering and pondering and even acting on issues from this current global crisis? Are we doing anything to make the world better? How are we called to, to make changes that would help re alleviate the oppressive debt of others? Maybe even loaning some of our own money at 0% interest. Would that be a way to help others get out of the debt? What are we called to do? I'm not sure. I, I got to be honest. But I better, I am a little bothered by it. Okay, hopefully angry. I'm definitely doing some thinking. Would you allow God's word to speak into your heart? Would you allow God to continue to guide you in the wealth that he's entrusted you with, both time and resources, to show the love that God has shown you? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you that you loved us so much. Help us see the world how you see it. Lord, use your word to change our hearts and our minds that we might be more like Jesus in everything we do. We pray all of these things in his name. Amen.